Well, we are in the third part of our message series called Living the Dream, Being Rich at What Matters Most. And so if you have your outlines today, pull those out. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to our theme passage, which is 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so um, some of you might not have been here for some of the past week messages that we've gone over. And so we've been talking about that there is some good news. And that good news is you are what? You are rich. See, by hearing the reaction from some of you, some of you haven't bought that yet, that you are rich. But we, compared to the rest of the world, are incredibly blessed, and we are rich. We've also talked about there's some bad news, and the bad news is what? We are rich. That is bad news as well. Wait a minute, how can it be good news, and how can it be bad news? We'll talk about that. Last week I shared that if you make $33,000 a year or more, that you are in the top 1% of all wage earners in the world, which means that we are all most likely one percenters. But I did some research this last week. Did you know that if you lived in Ghana, for you to make that $33,000 a year figure, it would take you 206 years if you were an average laborer to make that much money? What about this? If you make $33,000 a year, your monthly salary is equal to the monthly salaries of 147 doctors in Pakistan. We are that rich compared to the rest of the world. And as a result of us being so rich, we also have some responsibilities. But the problem is, is that because we're so rich, because things come so easy here to us in America We kind of take it for granted. And so that idea or that notion of having to rely upon God, it almost seems foreign because in reality we feel as if we can do it on our own. And we get distracted by the blessings of this nation. And so I would tell you, if you have missed one of these messages, go to our website. Go and listen or watch one of them. I promise you that God will challenge you in your relationship with him. But today I want to share some bad news with you. The best sermon that people will ever hear outside of these walls isn't going to come from me. You're not going to hear the best sermon in the world today. Did you know that people are not going to hear the best sermon from Pastor Michael or even from Pastor Brad? Although all are great communicators, that will not be the best sermon someone will hear. In fact, you can't even go on TV and listen to those TV preachers and hear the best sermon that you could ever hear. Not even one of those mega church pastors. The best sermon that anybody is ever going to hear is going to come from you. It's going to come from your life. It's going to come from the way that you go about your day-to-day life. Because if you like it or not, people are watching you. People are noticing what you're doing or what you're not doing. And they're looking to see if you live out what you say you believe. And this morning, as we continue through this passage that God has given us, we're going to see how our good deeds really reflect our God. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look starting in verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what Paul says. He says, as for the rich in this present age, that's all of us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which truly is life. Um, Last week, we focused uh, our time together on not putting our hopes and the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who truly provides us with everything we need and even some that we want. And right there in the passage, the next little chunk that we'll wrestle with today, Paul says that they are to do good, to be rich in good works. Now, the good that we're talking about here today is a very broad sense of good works. We're not going to get real specific about a type that you can do, but rather look at it as a whole and saying, can you, as a Christian Christ follower, do good deeds for someone else out there? So, let me start by asking you a question. How rich are you in good deeds? I mean, when you were to think about your life, could you honestly look at me in the eye and say, you know what, Scott, I would be rich, rich in good deeds, like wealthy rich. Or would you have to say, you know what, maybe if you were to really think about my life and see the way that I'm living it, I would have to say I'm more middle class kind of good in my good deeds. Or would you honestly have to say, you know what, I hear this idea of good deeds, but I'm really busy. And so as a result, if you were really to describe me, you would have to describe me as maybe being a little bit poor when it comes to good deeds or how I reach out to other people. Now this morning, as we dig into this idea, we need to set a foundation that is so important for you to understand, because if not, you might think that I'm teaching bad theology here. And here's the foundational principle. Don't miss this this morning. If you're taking notes, it's the first fill-in on your outline. We're talking about good deeds and good works today. But we need to understand that we are not saved by our good works. There is nothing that we can do in order to earn our way to heaven. But we are saved for good works. We are not saved and made right before God because we do religious things or because we try harder, or we decide that we're not going to cuss anymore. No, that's not what makes us good in God's eyes. We are made good and transformed by God to do good works. In fact, listen to the way the Apostle Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. He said, it's not by what? It's not by your own doing. It is a gift from God not a result of works so that no one can boast. Let me pause right there. I think that concept is so huge because sometimes when we do something good for someone else, we want to pat ourselves on the back and stand a little bit taller and say, look at what I did. But we'll get back to that concept a little bit later in our time today. Listen to what Paul says. For we are his workmanship. Another version says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Think about it. We were created as God's image bearers. We were created by God to do good works that he prepared in advance for every single one of us. And because our God is so great that he created the heavens and the earth, that he set all of it into being, that he created in you gifts and abilities supernaturally for you to accomplish exactly what he set you on this earth to do. 
Our God knows you and he knows me that much that he would give us those abilities for a will that is solely his. So if he created you, if he gave you all these talents and abilities, what are you doing with them? What are you doing with what God has entrusted you with? What are you doing with the talents and abilities that God has gifted you with? There's a great parable that Jesus taught. It's known as the parable of the talents. And in that parable, Jesus taught about three different men who were given different talents to be able to use for the master's glory. Today, I want to chew on that passage of Scripture, and I want to look at what our responsibilities are as we take our talents and we take our abilities and we live them out for God's glory. So in your Bibles, flip over to the beginning of the New Testament to Matthew chapter 25, where we read in verses 14 through 30. And as we walk through this passage today, we're going to share some, see some very important lessons as we wrestle with this idea of being rich in what matters most. And as I chew on this passage, the first thing that I see is what we have is not ours. What we have is not ours. Look at verse 14. It says that this man was getting ready to go for a journey. And it says that he called his servants and he entrusted his property to them. In this day, as Jesus was relating, um, it was common for wealthy men to take long journeys. And before they would leave, they would arrange for someone to come and pick up their mail and feed their pets and all of that. And even bigger than that, the master would entrust to his trustworthy servants, those that were closest to him, a certain amount of possessions in order for them to take and use them to continue to grow the wealth of the master. And given the uncertainty of transportation in those days, even a well-planned-out trip really had an open-ended arrival time coming back because they didn't know how or what it would take to get home. And so there was no doubt in the minds of these servants in this time that the property and the money that was entrusted to them wasn't theirs, but it was the master. They were the possessors, and the master was the owner. Their job was to manage what they were given. And likewise, for us, as we take this passage and we bring it to 2015, we are supposed to remember that everything that has been given to us is not really ours to begin with. In fact, the psalmist says in 20, verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai adds in chapter 2, verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Our God owns the rights to everything that we have and we have the responsibility to use them for God's glory. He is the master and we are the manager. What we have is not ours. So let me ask you a question. Have you allowed that principle to infiltrate not just in your mind, but down into your heart. See, it's easy for us to sit here and think, yeah, I think it has. Yeah, everything I have, sure, that is God's. But when push comes to shove and the time comes where you're actually called on out on that, do you believe it? And bigger than that, do you live it? What about this? What if today, as you leave from this place and, and you go about, you're running an errand or going out to lunch, 
and you see somebody that has no shoes, in that moment, you will know if you truly believe that everything that you have is yours. Are you willing to get down on one knee and untie your shoes and give them to somebody else because God gave them to you for a period? Or do you look at your shoes and you say, but those shoes mean so much to me because they match my dress, my hat, my bracelet, and all of these things that I've bought. Or what about this? You say that your house is God's and use it for whatever God wants to do. Maybe you even open up your house once a week for a community group. But what about that single mom that has no place to go? Are you willing to open up your doors and say, what is mine is God's, use it, welcome, let me give you something to eat. See, it's in those moments when the question now becomes a reality that we know whether or not we truly live it and if we truly believe it. Here's the deal. Until we recognize this truth, we will not be good managers of what God has entrusted us with. We have to remember that our days are His. Our gifts and our abilities are on loan from Him. Our possessions are in advance from God Almighty. Our cars, our money, our houses, every possession we have doesn't actually belong to us. I love how I've seen this in practice in our ministry. Uh, a number of years ago, I was the senior high youth pastor right here at First Baptist. And we were getting ready to go on a mission trip to Mexico. And we had so many kids that wanted to go on this mission trip that the church didn't own enough vehicles which is an amazing problem to have, but also a stressful problem if you're responsible for it. And so I started just to put the word out and saying, hey, I have so many kids. Anyone have a car? Anyone have a vehicle that you could use? And what amazed me and blessed me was how quickly people right away, hey, you know what? I have a van. Here's the keys. It's yours. Use it. Here's my truck. Here's the keys. It's God's. Use it for your glory. Notice, they didn't worry about the fact that I literally was going to put teenagers that eat a lot at AMPM in their car and most likely smashing Cheez-Its in the bottom. They didn't worry about that. They said, it's God's vehicle, it's not mine. They didn't worry about the fact that we literally were going to put over a thousand miles on their car and the added wear and tear. They said, no, don't worry about it. It's God's vehicle anyways. It's on loan to me. And even to this day, when the time comes for us to go to Mexico, I have people volunteer, hey, I'll drive my truck. Hey, you need my trailer? Hey, come get it. Use it. You need our specialty tools? Come to our shop. Load up whatever you need. It's for God's glory. See, sometimes we live that out, and sometimes we hold on to things and say, no, this is mine. See, our God entrusts us with a certain amount of resources, financially, possessions, time. And as we relate it to this passage today to our lives, our talents and our abilities. Verse 15 in the scripture, we see that the master gave some of the talents to his different servants. To one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two. And finally, to the third one, he gave one talent, each according to their ability. And then the master headed off onto his journey. And see, we need to understand here that um, what a talent was in Jesus' day is completely different from what we describe it as today. 
While we can relate it today to our abilities and our talents, and I certainly am, in Jesus' day it related to a measure of weight, and in particular used to describe an amount of money. Commentators debate on what the value of each talent was because some believed a talent was made of copper, others said silver, and others said gold. But one thing that everybody is on the same page about is it was a lot of money. Most likely the value that it would have taken these men 20 years to earn. So as we think about it is one of those men was entrusted with 100 years worth of his wage. Another was entrusted with 20 years of his wage, and finally that last with 10 years. And it's easy for us to sit there and think, well, one got five and one only got one. Regardless of what it was, they both were entrusted with a lot, which then makes me think about my life and makes me think about your life to know that our God has entrusted every single one of us with an abundant amount of blessings and talents and abilities. And as I think about us, And as I think about Christians in 2015 in the United States of America, we are all five-talent kind of people. Now, you might be sitting here thinking and comparing your talents to another person's talents and saying, no, Scott, I don't have as much as this person does. But in America, we have so much. I mean, as I'm standing before all of you and we have things that come on the screen, you know how to read what is up there. You can take and write it down. You can do math. And there are people in this world that would give anything to be able to know how to read, to be able to read God's Word. We have that many talents and abilities. And in the same way, as I look around this room and I know some of your stories, There are so many people here today in this room that have advanced degrees, that have unique skill sets and abilities that God has gifted you with to use for His glory by helping others and doing good for them. As we continue through this parable, we see also that we must invest the talents that God has given us. Verse 15 tells us that the man who received the five talents He went out at once and he took and he started investing his master's portfolio in growing it. In fact, Scripture says he doubled it. The man with two talents went out and took what his master entrusted him. Although the Scripture doesn't say he did it right away, he went out because we know that he doubled it and was faithful with what his master had given him. I love hearing stories about people who take their talents who take their abilities and invest them wisely. We have dentists that go to this church that literally on a weekly, monthly basis will go down to downtown area where the homeless are and will operate a clinic for the homeless and the poor to be able to receive dental care that they badly need absolutely for free. I was talking last week with a dentist that goes to this church who will give up an entire week of his practice here, closes it down to go to Mexico to go and meet people that he doesn't know will never probably meet again and provide them with dental care that they need so badly. Going and doing good deeds with the gifts or the abilities that God has invested in them. What about this? We have a CPA who literally will fly from here all the way to Africa to help missionaries handle their finances in a way that can be reported here so that people will continue to give. We have hairdressers that go to this church that on a weekly basis will go downtown, 
will wash the hair of the homeless, will redo their hair and make them look so good so that they can feel like a person and like they matter to anybody else. We have contractors that literally will take time off of work and use the gifts that God has invested in them and go and work somewhere else for free so that they can do good deeds to help other people for God's glory. See, they take what God gave them and they invest it. But when we look back in the scripture, in verse 18, it describes the different approach of the third servant. It says, but the man who had received the one talent went off. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Even though in this passage we don't read about any specific instructions that the servants were supposed to do with the money, we know that the other two took and doubled what the master had entrusted them with. But the one talent guy, to be honest with you, he was a slacker. He was scared, so he went and he dug a hole and he put what his master had entrusted and he put it down there and he covered it back up so that it wouldn't get lost. And in this time, that was one of the safest ways to be able to take and store your valuable possessions. And it also was one of the most, or the least profitable ways to handle it. Some of you here today are just like that man who received the one talent. You're sitting on a wealth of knowledge and an experience, an abundance of talents, and you're doing nothing with them. There are some of you that are here today that have been going to church for years. You have soaked up so much knowledge that you're like a giant sponge that is just dripping all over the place. But you're trying to grab all of that knowledge and hold it as close as you can. You've gone to Sunday school for years, if not decades. You've gone from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to another Bible study. And you've taken all of that knowledge and you've gotten it here and you've buried it so deep within you that you're holding on to it and you're not pouring it out on anybody else. Please hear this this morning. Your Bible knowledge is not yours to hold on to. It's yours to share. Let me say that again. Your Bible knowledge is not yours to hold on to. It's yours to share. God has used people to invest in your life and you need to invest in other people's lives. The problem is, is the selfishness that is so rampant in our culture has infiltrated the church. And we think more about getting for ourselves than giving of ourselves. Now please understand this. I am not saying that a Sunday school is a bad thing. I am not saying that a Bible study is a bad thing. What I am saying is that there are some of you here today that it's time for you to step up. It's time for you to take a break or a season out of your Bible study for the 19th time and take that knowledge that God has entrusted you with and pour it out to somebody else because there are people that are here today that need that knowledge. And I know as I have a chance to look at you right now. And as some of you squirm and as I make you uncomfortable, you know what I have to say about that? Good. 
you should be uncomfortable. And if you feel convicted right now, it's not my words. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life stirring within you to say, do something with what God has entrusted you with. I don't know what this means for you. Maybe for you, you need to go and find somebody else to mentor, to bring them right alongside you one-on-one, to walk through this faith journey with them, to share how you have had those highs and in those lows in your life, and they can learn from both sides. Maybe for you, it's time that you actually lead a Bible study instead of just taking part in a Bible study. If you can read, you can lead. If you can study God's Word, you can study it with somebody else. It's time to do something for someone else and invest what God has entrusted you with. Our knowledge, our potential, our, all of our talents are God's gifts to us. How we use them is our gift to God. I came across this quote that I think is profound right here. You are the only person on earth who can use your ability. What are you going to do with them? Are you investing what you've been given regardless of how much it is? Or have you buried that blessing and keep hiding it from others? Next, as we continue through the parable of the talents, what we do with our talents reveals our view of our God. As we come to verses 20 through 25, We see that the man who had been given five talents to him um, had gained five more. The language in the passage here is so insightful. He says to his master, see what I have done. I have gained five more. That word see there means to behold or look. I can imagine that that man was so eager to share with his master that he was running up to him as he comes back in and says, look at what I did with what you had entrusted me with. With such enthusiasm, he was thoroughly thrilled. He could not wait to present what he had. And just the same, the man who had two talents approached his master with the same kind of anticipation and excitement. The master was thrilled with both of them and how they demonstrated responsibility with what he had entrusted them with. And notice what it says in the passage there to both the five-talent and the two-talent person. The master's response was the exact same. He said, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The master increased their resources after they proved themselves faithful. But notice he said the same thing to the five talent and the two talent. It reminds us that it doesn't matter how many talents we have, but rather how we use the talents we have for God's glory. The phrase there, well done, can be translated as excellent or wonderful. They were faithful and were called good because they had a right view of our God, or in this instance, of their master. Likewise, when we see our God for who he is, We will want to be faithful and focus on doing good things, not for our glory, but for his glory. God is looking for faithful people, for those who will properly manage the resources he has given you for kingdom purposes. And when we're responsible with what we have been given, we will be given even more. But yet, when we look at the other side of this parable, 
the one talent man, well, he had a whole different perspective. In fact, in verse 24, listen to what he says. He says, I knew you were a hard man. Notice the first word that comes out of the guy's mouth were about himself. He said, I knew. We could translate it almost as if I always knew this about you. The other guys, when they arrived, when the master came, they right away said, Master, you entrusted me. But the third guy had a complete wrong view of the master. And, and he looked at him, he had his mind made up before he ever was entrusted with anything that the master was a bad guy. He looked at him as somebody that was hard and harsh instead of seeing that the master was loving and trusting of him. A.W. Tozer says this. He said that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we view God as a tyrant, then we're going to filter everything through that lens. Some of you today right here might be secretly angry at God because he didn't answer a prayer the way you wanted to, or maybe he hasn't done exactly what you wanted in the timing that you wanted it. And so as a result, you're holding a grudge. You're holding anger against him. And so you view God and you view everything that he has entrusted you with through that lens. And you have a wrong view of our amazing God. Your preconceived notions keep you from seeing God as a God of grace. And as a result, you refuse to serve him with what he has given you. We blame God and we bury all of those blessings and do nothing with them. See, a faulty view of God leads to excuses. In verse 25, the man that received the one talent declares the reason that he didn't do anything with what he would be given is because he was scared. He was afraid. His fear paralyzed him, so he decided to play it safe. He made sure he didn't lose the money, but he did nothing with it. He accomplished exactly what he set out to do. Nothing. Just like the saying goes, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. See, a wrong view of God always leads to fear. But a right view of God leads to a faith-stretching experience. As I put myself in the shoes of those servants with the master, and if somebody was to entrust me with literally five times my, a hundred years worth of my salary, it would be intimidating. And to know that one day I would have to give account for what I had been entrusted with, I would be a little bit scared. But when we're honest with ourselves and when we look at Scripture, we have been entrusted with that many abilities or that much money and so much more. And one day you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an accounting with what we use, how we use what God gave us for his glory. Financially, possessions, our talents, our times, everything that we have been entrusted with, one day we will be held accountable. In the remaining time that we have together today, I want to show you a couple of different principles about being rich in good deeds as we take this idea of investing what we've been given, as we take this idea of doing good for other people out there, what do we actually do with it? And the first one is my good deeds should always point to God and never to me. My good deeds should always point to God 
and never to me. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others. Notice he didn't say let your voice shine before others. Uh, notice he didn't say, oh, so that you can look good in front of others. Notice he didn't say so that you can pat yourself on the back and say, wow, you did a good job for somebody else so that they can glorify you. No. What he said is so that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? So that they can glorify your Father in heaven. I love the power of that. When Jesus said, let your light shine, he was talking about your actions, not just your words. Your actions may be the only thing that people see of Christ. Remember at the very beginning of our time together, I shared with you that the best sermon that someone is ever going to see is going to come from you. Whether you like it or not, the people that are in your life, the people that are closest to you, that spend the most time with you, they're watching you. And if you profess to be a Christian and you tell people that you go to church, your coworkers know whether you live it out or not. If your spouse doesn't go to church, they know if you live it out or not. Now, we don't do it so that we can look good. We do it so that our God can look good. A few years ago, when we started the SOS Day with Serve Our Stockton, when we brought together literally like 1,500 people to go out into the community and just make a difference. We got a bunch of churches involved, and it was an exciting time. In fact, we had like 200 people out on March Lane cutting down weeds and things that the city hadn't been able to do. And I remember that day as we were out there, one of the, the mucky muck kayak people from City Hall was out there and making their appearance. And, and the lady came up to me and she said, I don't understand you people. Hmm, okay. What is it that you don't understand about us? She said, I don't understand why all of these people would give up a day when it's hot outside to go out and do all this. And I said, well, we do it for Jesus. And she said, but you guys aren't out here patting yourselves on the back. You're not out there seeking all of this attention. You're out here just with humble hearts. And I said, you're starting to get it. You're starting to understand our motivation. We humbly come to serve. We humbly come to do these good deeds, not so that they didn't even know that it was First Baptist Church. They didn't know that there were people from Quail Lakes out there. They knew that they were people that loved Jesus because that's who we wanted to make look good that day. The second one, if you're taking notes, this one's really important that we understand and get right. If we're going to do good deeds for other people, our, our good deeds must help in the way they need it, not in the way that I want to give it. Our good deeds must help others in the way they need it, not in the way that I want to give it. It's kind of like this. If you hear of somebody that just recently lost their job, and you call them and say, hey, you know what, I got this raggedy couch out in my garage if you come up and pick it up, you know what, you can have it. Maybe that might help you out. See, sometimes we would rather give help the way we think they need it or the way we want to do it rather than taking the time to hear how do you actually need it. It's like sometimes when you go to a restaurant and, and there's somebody that's standing out front and, and they're asking you for a dollar to say, let me buy you food. 
and let me talk to you about your life. To actually hear what their needs are rather than to give a dollar to get them off your back so you can go get your Taco Bell. Listen to this. Jesus went even a step further than this. Not only do we give in the way they need it rather than the way we want to give, Jesus says that we go the extra mile. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, you should go two miles. Putting this in the historical context, at the time when Jesus was living, a Roman soldier had the legal right to literally point at you and say, you are going to carry my bags. And you literally had to stop whatever you were doing, pick up that heavy bag, put it on your back, and walk for one mile. A Roman mile at this time was a thousand steps. After you had walked your thousand steps, you could stop, you could take that off, probably feeling humiliated at that time, put it down, and go about your life. But what Jesus said is he said, if you're going to serve them, serve them well. Serve them beyond their expectations. And Jesus said, you go one mile, go two instead. If someone needs a meal, don't just buy them a frozen lasagna, buy them salad, give them dessert, bring them plates, bring them silverware, and offer to bring it the next day too. I don't know what your good deed is. And I know that it's not singular, but it's plural. I do know this, that if we're going to go out and be rich at what matters most, we need to be willing to serve others in the way that they want to be served or need to be served rather than telling them the way that we want to do it. The third point and my favorite one. I pray this inspires you and lights you on fire to be the church that God has called us to be. It's that my good deeds will glorify God through his church. My God, good deeds will represent God in the church, through the church, to gl- give glory God, to God in all that we do. In fact, the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 said this, And let us consider how we may do what? How may we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. See, in the context, the author of Hebrews was encouraging people to continue to meet together in fellowship, to continue to meet together like we do in church, to encourage one another. But it would be a travesty if all we did was come like you are here. That once a week you come and you sit in a chair, you sit in a pew, You hear a message that might tickle your ear. It might even step on your feet a little bit. But then to go about our daily lives and do nothing about it. If we're going to truly glorify God through his church, we're going to do good deeds in his church and through his church so that people outside of the church will look at the church completely different. Because do you know what the problem is today in America? Is people that don't go to church on a weekly or regular basis They view all of us as hypocrites. They view all of us as people that go and have their little holy huddle, but don't do anything different for anybody else. They don't live any different than anybody else. So if we're going to truly live this out, we're going to live in community. We're going to challenge one another. We're going to come alongside one another and say, how can we together make a difference for the sake of the gospel? We're going to meet in Sunday school classes and we're going to say, how can we as a class change what we've done for years to do something different for the sake of the lost? We're going to meet in our community groups and we're going to look at each other in that house and we're going to say, how can we together go out and do good deeds for somebody else? And in our own homes, with our children, with our grandchildren, with our spouses or whoever you live with. 
We're going to look at one another and we're going to challenge one another to say together we can do something good for somebody else. And yes, it might seem small. Yes, it might seem trivial as you just give a meal to somebody else. But did you know that little deed, that little moment is blessing them and it's blessing you? And as you take that small step of doing something simple, you take the next step to do something a little bit more complicated than when God calls you to do the major thing. You are prepared and you are primed to say, God, I am ready for you to do something remarkably big in and through me. But it won't happen until we're rich with what matters most. Sometimes the reason that we don't hear God's still soft voice speaking to us It's because we're tuned into the wrong station. We're tuned into what the world says rather than what God says. So friend, I don't know how all this lands for you in your life. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. But I want to ask you one final question today as this lands into your life. What are you doing with the gifts or the abilities that God has entrusted you with? Will you invest them or are you bearing them? Join me in prayer. Father God, today we humbly come before you as your image bearers, knowing without a shadow of doubt that everything that we have is yours. God, knowing that the different gifts, that the different abilities we have were a gift from you. And so, Father, for every single one of us that are here today, God, I pray that you will challenge us. I pray that you will make us uncomfortable to use those gifts for your glory. And Father, I thank you that it's not an age thing, that it's not even a physical ability thing, that Father, you have given every single one of us abilities to use for your will in other people's lives. And so Father, today, this week, may you challenge us to use those abilities to do good for other people, not so that we look good, so that you look amazingly good. You are a good God. You created us to do good things. And Father, we thank you that you have given us those abilities to use them for your glory. May we use them and not bury them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.